are glad to have you with us today. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, just my privilege to be able to share with you a little bit this morning. But uh, before we dive in, will you just uh, bow your heads with me? Let, let's go to the Lord uh, together this morning and, and just thank him for everything that today means. God, we do give you thanks and praise uh, for what you did, what you accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ, the life and the hope that we have in him and what Easter is all about. We thank you, God. And uh, thank you. Thanks for this church family, uh, for all those that are here today. Thank you for those that are visiting, maybe visiting out of town, family members, friends, those that just felt like they wanted to be in church this morning. It is so good to be together to worship you. And uh, Father, we continue to invite you into this place this morning. Ask that you would guide and direct everything that we do today and that maybe in some special and powerful way you would speak a word or something to each of our hearts this morning, something that we won't forget, something that truly has the power to change us. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Uh, amen. Hey, let me ask you this morning, uh, as we're getting started here today, uh, for some of you this is easy, for others of you maybe it'll take a little bit of work, but uh, when you think about Easter, uh, what do you think about? What, what does Easter mean to you? And because I realize that Easter can mean a number of different things to us uh, in 2023, I, I think it's obvious for, for some of you, maybe many of you today, when you think about Easter, you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we celebrate uh, together as a church family. For some of you, uh, Easter, a day like today, means special time with family and traditions. Maybe you've got a, a big meal plan for later this morning or early this afternoon, and so you look forward to a day like today. If you're a kid at heart, uh, Easter reminds you of things like Easter egg hunts and maybe something like this, uh, an Easter egg basket. How many of you woke up to an Easter egg basket this morning? All right, I see a couple of hands around the room. Maybe if uh, uh, you think back long, long ago for some of you, you remember waking up on a Sunday morning uh, and finding an Easter egg basket like this of your own. I think we all like Easter egg baskets baskets because, duh, we all like candy. And uh, I did a little shopping this week uh, to s just pick some candy for, for my basket. I chose some popular ones. Uh, how, how many of you are Peeps fans? Any, any Peeps fans in the rooms? All right. Some of you, I've got some to give away. I'm not much of a Peeps person. So uh, who likes Peeps? I see Tori likes Peeps. And uh, do you like Peeps as well? Uh, there was an article out this week, uh, an article out this week that said that Peeps aren't good for your health. And I don't know why we're shocked by that or surprised by that, but uh, that seemed to be the breaking news. I'm, I'm a jelly beans guy, uh, but not much of a wax-like jelly beans. I like the, have you tried the sweet tarts jelly beans yet? These are phenomenal, right? Who needs some sweet tarts jelly beans, all right? Hey, it pays to sit in the front row or to sit in the first couple of rows. Uh, those are dangerous. And then I discovered these as well. How about the Cadbury mini eggs? Any Cadbury mini eggs fans? All right, right back there in the middle. All right, don't, don't hit the person in front of you, all right? Oh, oh, she got it, all right. And then there are the classics. Who likes the Cadbury eggs? You like the Cadbury eggs? No, you're not much of one? There's a Cadbury egg there for you. And who else? 
You like a Cadbury egg? I got one more. Who else, who wants my last Cadbury egg? Who's embarrassed? Anybody? All right, Ms. Metzger, I'm gonna give it to you. All right, you can have the Cadbury egg. Funny story about the Cadbury eggs. I was reading this article this past week. Uh, there was almost a Cadbury egg shortage if England's Joby Poole had his way. Police arrested him back in February when he attempted to steal a trailer of over 200,000 Cadbury eggs something valued at like $37,000 worth of product. Now I think they're good. I don't think they're that good, all right, that I would put my life at risk. But authorities said it was no small feat either. He, get this, he, he used a grinder to cut through the gate, all right, uh, and to enter into the industrial yard. He hitched a truck to a trailer, but unfortunately for him, he didn't get very far. Authorities say his attempt took intense planning because when you think about it, you don't pull off a massive egg heist over easy. So you got it, right? Because you, know, you can do scrambled or over hard. That's my preference. And then there's the over easy. But again, it's a true story. All right. So, so Easter, here's the point. Easter means all sorts of different things to people. We've all got our traditions. We've all got our memories, our expectations, our opinions. But in all seriousness, what brought you here today? All right, I want to answer this for yourself. Like, like why are you here this morning? And, and I realize that for many of us, this is just what we do on Sundays. You come to a place like this every Sunday morning, and this particular Sunday is a little more special to you for obvious reasons. Uh, for others of you, you always get to church on Easter. Like, you make it a point. And sure, you might come to a place like Genesis from time to time if there are no games on Sundays or if your schedule allows, but on Easter, you don't miss. Maybe you're here today because a friend invited you. Uh, a family member suggested you come along. Some of you, if you're being honest, you're here just to keep the peace, right? It's what mom wanted. It's what your, your wife wanted. And so you're here to keep people happy. Like, we, we're all here for different reasons today and with different expectations. Again, I want you to just hear me say this. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. You are always welcome here. Uh, we think that Genesis is a great church. We're attempting to be the type of family that if you've got questions, if you're searching, if you're trying to figure out life, like Genesis can be a great place to do just that. But let me tell you why I'm here and what I've been praying for you and others have been praying for you uh, today. I I'm not here out of tradition. I'm, I'm not here because it's a Sunday or even because it's my job. No, I'm, I'm here today because like, many of you, I'm here because of an event that took place 2,000 years ago, an event unlike anything that will ever happen again, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here today. You're surrounded by many people who believe the very same thing. That, that's what Easter is all about. In fact, this is why we do the things that we do as a church. And I get it. I know that as a general rule, people don't come back from the dead except for popular shows on Netflix, all right? But all through the Bible, we discover that God God promised to send a savior who would die for the sins of the world that would rise from the dead to prove that he has the power to conquer things like sin and death in our lives. And that miracle, the resurrection, has incredible personal implications for all of us. I mean, his resurrection means that he has the power to erase the mistakes and guilt from our past, that he has the power to shape and influence the way you live your life right now today, and that he has something special to say about our future 
future and the hope, the things that we put our hope and our faith in. But I think there's at least one thing today about Jesus' resurrection that we need to be reminded of, and it's this, that there's a big difference between knowing that the resurrection occurred and believing that it has the power to change our lives. And so this morning, I wanna spend just a little time looking at the life of a man named Saul with you. Uh, He not only refused to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but he made it his life's mission to cancel and even kill anyone else that believed in his resurrection. But all that's gonna change for Saul, sneak peek, all right, as he encountered Jesus for himself and his life will be changed forever. And here's the thing, what Jesus did for Saul, he can do for you. Uh, He can do in your life, anyone's life as well. And today could be your day. Today could be a very special day and moment for you. And so if you've got a Bible with you today and you wanna follow along with us, we wanna invite you to turn to Acts chapter nine. It's just a few pages or a few books, if you would, into the New Testament of the Bible. The New Testament being the second half of your Bible. We'll put these words on the screen as well. But the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, which teach us about the life and the ministry of Jesus. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament written by Luke. It's a history book that records what happened after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus into heaven and then provides example after example of how the church shared the news of Jesus with the rest of the world. And so for the last 10 weeks here at Genesis, we've been studying through Acts as a church. And we first met this man named Saul a few weeks ago in chapter 7 when we learned that he supervised the execution of a man named Stephen, a follower of Jesus Christ. And then Acts chapter eight tells us that Saul unleashed unleashed a personal mission to destroy the church and the people of the church by any means necessary. But all of that is about to change for Saul. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter nine, beginning in verse one. Here's what we read. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murder threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, another term at the time for Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so Saul went to the high priest. This is the same high priest that sentenced Jesus to death on the cross. And he went looking for his blessing and permission to go to Damascus so that he could arrest as many Christians as possible. And just to give you some perspective from Jerusalem, Damascus is located on foot in a straight line about 150 miles from Jerusalem. Now, why travel to Damascus? Many Christians had migrated for the sake of safety to that place. But something else we see in Saul is just this growing intensity. Like he's he's done a lot of bad things in around Jerusalem, but now he's willing to travel beyond the borders of Israel in order to take out his rage on others. And so there's no doubting his hatred. There's there's no questioning his intense passion. Straw's got a very strong opinion about Jesus. He's borderline out of control and he refused to believe, which we might say, we might say it like this, that Saul was spiritually blind. All right, Saul was spiritually blind. He couldn't see it. He couldn't bring himself to believe. And here's the irony behind that. Saul was a very religious person. 
intensely religious. He, he had strong convictions about God and about life. He just couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't get his mind around the reality, the possibility that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, the Son of God, and that God had raised him from the dead. You know, some of you here today, if you're honest with yourself, if you're honest with others, might be struggling with a spiritual blindness of your own. Like, you want to believe something, all right? You, you'd love to grasp onto something, uh, but you just can't get your mind around the thought of a resurrected Savior. Maybe for some of you today, you used to believe, but then somebody hurt you and your faith crumbled. Or you would say that you were once a person of faith, but, but too many disappointments and questions about life have beat you down. Maybe, maybe you consider yourself, others would consider you to be a, a really good person, a, a moral person, a loving person, but you've watched, you've watched these last couple of years, the way that church and, and culture and politics have collided, and it's really, it's just very disappointing. It's frustrating to you. Some of you are very smart and intelligent. You, you've got questions. Uh, there, there are questions that you've asked that you need answers for. You ju again, you just, like Saul, you can't get your mind around the thought of a resurrected Savior. Saul had questions. He had his own belief system, and he couldn't see anything else any other way. Verse 3, we read, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me. You know, that word suddenly kind of jumps off the screen or the pages at me. Because let me ask you, I, I wonder if you have a, a suddenly sort of moment in your life. And here's what I mean. It, it's a moment that, that maybe came rushing in without warning, a, a moment when life took a sudden turn for you, a, a moment when you got a call and you can still hear the words on the other end, there's been an accident. Or you sat down and, and the doctor said, well, the, the test results are back. The, the biopsy isn't good. We, we, we need to do more. Uh, may, maybe your suddenly moment meant uh, your job was eliminated or there, there's no more money. You, you might be thinking about the day that your loved one walked out and walked away for good. I've taken some tough calls of my own in my life, nothing like the one that I took last July when my sister called to say that my dad was on the way, his way to the ER and we thought stroke, they thought stroke for sure, but it ended up being a brain tumor. And thankfully my dad survived that surgery, but his life has drastically changed. All of our lives and our family have drastically changed. I don't know about you, <clears throat> but I like to pretend that I'm in control. I'd really at times like to control the pieces and circumstances of life and the way that life occurs, but unfortunately, we all know this, the world doesn't operate that way. Like, it, it doesn't matter what you believe about God. It doesn't matter what you believe about faith. We've all had moments, suddenly moments, when something happens and all of a sudden, you and I, we realize we have no control at all. For more than 30 years, Saul believed that he was well, very in control of his life, calling the shots. You could say things were going his way, but then Jesus showed up and Saul finds himself lying on his back in the middle of the road, unable to move. And in that desperate moment, all Saul could hear was a voice saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse five, 
Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And so just put yourself, try and put yourself in, in Saul's shoes for just a moment. Like this, this blinding light knocks you to the ground, and all of a sudden you hear a loud voice and your name, and note Saul's response. He says, who are you, Lord? Which seems to indicate that he at least knows something spectacular is going on here, but then the voice replies, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And in that moment, Saul is forced to, to face two things, all right? Two new realities for him. The first is this, that Jesus is alive, that, that he had it wrong, that, that these people that he had been torturing and persecuting, these victims, they were right. They weren't making this story up. Jesus had risen from the dead and he was very indeed alive. But the second thing is this, Saul also realized that he wasn't just persecuting Christians. No, when he persecuted Christians, he was actually persecuting Jesus Christ. Now, if we stop there for a second, time out. I realize that at this point in the story, you could be tempted to write this off because how in the world am I supposed to believe that something happened like this to a man named Saul 2,000 years ago? And that's fair. I get it. I've got questions of my own. You've got your questions. Again, I've got questions about my faith and God so I can understand why you certainly have some of yours. But I also know this, and maybe some of you have experienced this in your life. The more time I spend around Jesus, the more time I spend in my Bible reading and studying, the more time I spend with a church family, many of, of you here at Genesis, the more my faith grows, the more real Jesus becomes to me, and the more I realize that I can't imagine living my life any other way. And let's not forget something here, like, like Saul couldn't bring himself to believe, but then he had this very real personal encounter with Jesus Christ, and it's gonna change everything for him, and it's gonna change everything forever. Like my prayer for you today it is just this, that if you're struggling to believe, that if you, you don't have eyes to see right now, that, that Jesus will do whatever he needs to do to get your attention, and that when he does, that like Saul, you would know the intensity of his great love for you and also the faith to believe in Jesus as well. Verse seven, we read the men traveling with Paul, Saul stood there speechless. So they're having a bit of encounter of their own. It says they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Saul, get this, was, was planning on charging into Damascus with a sword drawn, but instead his friends will escort him there because he's not able to see. And take note of the number of days that Saul endured the darkness. Did you catch that? three days. Now, I'm not sure if that's intentional or coincidental, but it reminds me of another three days of darkness because as we've been singing today, the gospels tell us that after Jesus' death on the cross, his body was laid in the tomb for three days. And now here in Acts chapter nine, Luke tells us that after his encounter with the resurrected Jesus, uh, Saul was entombed in his own darkness and he couldn't see anything for three days. And what were those three days like? Like 
What thoughts went racing through his mind during that time? I, I'm sure Saul contemplated a number of things, potentially this, knowing that he deserved death. But little did he understand that Jesus was in the process of giving him a brand new life. Like Saul realized that he deserved death, but little did he realize that Jesus was in the process of giving him a brand new life, and that's the hope of Easter. That's the truth of Easter. That's the promise and the power of resurrected Jesus. Like he offers us brand new life. That's his offer to every single one of us. It's the offer of new life. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 15 through 20 explains it like this, that Jesus died for everyone. All right, that's each of us, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. That's why we celebrate Easter. Verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others, the apostle Paul writes, from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the promise of the scriptures is just this that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this, get this, is a gift from God. It's not about what we deserve or what we accomplish on our behalf. It's a gift from him who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us. Here's what he does for us as followers of Jesus and as a church. He has given us the message of reconciliation. Paul says we are Christ's ambassadors. We are his representatives in this world. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I, I'm not sure the exact moment that it all clicked for Saul. When did he believe? Did he believe when he was on the ground in the blinding light or while walking into Damascus? We don't know for sure, but if you keep reading in Acts chapter 9, you'll see how Jesus orchestrates this meeting between a visually impaired Saul and a wonderful man by the name of Ananias, verse 17. We read, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God used a man by the name of Ananias to encourage Saul, to help Saul see Jesus. And what a reminder for those of us, for you and me who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that a big part of your life and responsibility that we see here in Acts, that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter five is to help others see. Like Jesus, what you've done for me, let others see that work in me so that others may know you. You and I, we have a responsibility as Christians and as a church to help others see Jesus. For some of you today, a big part of, of Jesus' work in your life is that he has put someone, that he has put a family in your life like Ananias so that you might see Jesus, all right? Maybe, maybe people from this church family, like they are in your life. God has them in your life so that you might see Jesus. Jesus. Ananias helped Saul see, see that Jesus was changing his life, that his life would never be the same ever again. And just so there's no doubt about what Saul thinks about Jesus now, let's look at two more, verses 18 and 19. We read, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up 
and was baptized. Now, scales following is a symbol of transformation, that Saul's life has changed as a man, that he is a new creation in Jesus Christ. He has passed from death to life. And his story from here, it's one of the most remarkable stories in all of history because Jesus will change his name to Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul, and he will become one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known. And take special note of something verse 18 says about the way Saul, who we we now know as Paul responded. Verse 18 says he got up and was baptized. And I don't know what baptism means for you, but for us here at Genesis, baptism is a symbol of someone who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and has passed from death to life. That in the same way that Jesus' body was laid in the tomb, we go under the water as a representation of our death to sin, but in the same way that God raised Jesus from the dead, we come up out of the water as a picture of what it means to be raised to new life. If you have never expressed your faith in Jesus Christ through baptism, I want to invite you to be baptized here at Genesis Church on Sunday morning, April the 30th. If you were baptized as an infant but are ready to express your faith in Jesus for yourself, you can be baptized on that day. Or if you're ready to place your trust in Jesus Christ for the first time and are ready to follow him with your life in this world, we would love to celebrate your baptism on that day. You can meet me up front afterwards. I would love to talk. We've got people back at the Blue Tent that would love to have a conversation with you today or connect with us through our website or through the app. We'd love to talk more. I asked at the beginning why you're here. Let me ask you this again, and let me ask it this way. What does any of this mean to you? Saul's story should remind us that no one, that there is no life too far beyond the extent of the love of Jesus. The, the Bible says that Jesus' love stretches as far as the east is from the west, that there are no limits to his love and he is full of grace. And Saul's story demonstrates that what Jesus did for him that he can do for you that he can do for any one of us. It doesn't matter who you are. And keep this in mind, like, like Saul didn't have the time or the opportunity to go clean up his act first. Like he wasn't given the chance to go make everything he'd ever done wrong right. Truthfully, there was no amount of good that Saul could do with himself or with his life to make himself right with God. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus could save Saul. And in the same way, only Jesus could save me and redeem my life. And only Jesus can do that for you, for any of us. And one other thing, you know, we get no indications that Saul had the chance to get all of his questions answered first. In fact, I have reason to believe that Saul will spend the next years of his life working out each of his questions with Jesus, but it didn't keep him from putting his faith in Jesus first. Because what Saul realized is, I think, something that we all have to realize at times, and that is that there comes a point when faith requires faith. Henry Nouwen speaks about this. He has written about the importance of this kind of faith. And in one of his writings, he does so by discussing his friendship with a group of trapeze artists known as the Rodleys. And Nouwen, as he describes, was invited to one of their shows by a friend who was immediately captivated by the way they were able to catch one another so elegantly in the air. And he talked with them about it 
And here's what Nowen writes about that experience. He says, you know, one day I was sitting with Rodley, the leader of the troop in his caravan talking about flying. And, and he said this, he says, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. He said, the public might think that I'm the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. No, he has to be there for me with split-second precision and grab me out of the air as long as I am jumping to him. Well, how does that work now, and asked. The secret, Rodley said, is that the flyer does nothing. The catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. You do nothing, I said surprised. Nothing, Rodley repeated. The worst thing the flyer can do is to try and catch the catcher. He says, if I grab Joe's wrists, I might break them or he might break mine and that would mean the end for the both of us. And then he says this, he says, a flyer must fly and a catcher must catch and the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. And thinking about faith and Jesus and trust and how all of this applies, Nowen concludes, he says this, remember that you are the beloved child of God. And if you let him, God, he will grab you when you make your long jump. But don't try to grab him, let him grab you. You just stretch out your arms and hands and trust and trust and trust. Here's what I believe about you today. You're probably not a zealous persecutor of Christians. In fact, you might be a really, really good person, one of the most well-respected, most well-liked people around. You and I, we seek to live impressive lives for others, but apart from Jesus Christ, we are light years from being righteous before God. We all need Jesus. None of us can do this on our own. And so when it comes to life and when it comes to salvation, God is the catcher. We are the flyers. And that means our role is to trust, period. We pray with me. The good news is this, that God has never dropped anyone and he won't drop you. And I don't know what's going on in your life here today, but maybe today's the day that you need to reach out to Jesus, to reach out to him again, to reach out to him for the very first time in your life. He loves you. He has never stopped loving you. And the death of Jesus, it covers all. And not only does it cover and forgive our sins as great and awesome as that is, but it gives us a reason to live and a hope worth living for in this world. I pray you might reach out to Jesus today and trust him. Father in heaven, we thank you for your life and the life of your son, Jesus, who paid it all. Thank you that in Jesus Christ, we are offered new life and forgiveness and hope. I pray that you'd have your way in our lives, in my life, Lord, that the power of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, that it would work in us today, but not only today, but in the days to come. Do what only you can do. We reach out to you today. Have your way. 
Thank you for new life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.